0: How many LA City Council members have podcasts? Three. Mike Bonin, Marquise Harris-Dawson, who else? Are you including yourself? Now it's me. Now you have a podcast? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I I don't have a podcast. I'm doing a podcast for the very first
0: time. Well, Bill Rosendahl...
1: Did a podcast?
0: Well, he used to have a TV show. What? I don't think it overlapped. That's what he did before he became a council member. I don't think it overlapped with him being a council member necessarily. And I remember Eric Garcetti used to have a TV show where he would review restaurants.
1: You said Bill Rosendahl had a TV show, and the image that came to my mind was I recently rewatched Wayne's World. Uh huh. Was it was Wayne's basically World, that? Like the,
0: yeah, it was basically cable Wayne's access
1: World. in yes. a basement. Yeah,
0: that's that's what it was. Okay. And I saw an episode where Eric Garcetti went to Marouche.
1: It's a good restaurant. He had great taste.
0: It's very expensive. Marouche's? Honesty, transparency, that's...
1: Accountability. Accountability.
0: (laughs) That's what you can expect from this podcast. It's not going to be released regularly.
1: (laughs) It's not really a podcast.
0: (laughs) But you want to introduce yourself?
1: Yes, my name is Nithya Raman. I'm the council member for City Council District 4.
0: Yes. My name is Hayes Davenport. I work in your office. I've been called in today because of my the reps I've put in as a podcaster yeah, for almost a decade. And because I know someone who has access to microphones mm-hmm. and two iPhones, it's Kevin. And talk about why uh, do a podcast?
1: Because the issues right now that LA is dealing with, I just feel like, we got to do some deep dives.
0: You have to go long. You
1: have to go long. Yeah. Go long, go detailed, go hard. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like there's a lot of places out there where you can get that kind of information right now.
0: Yeah. Big stories, you can discuss them richly in depth. And sure. Yeah.
1: Just to be clear, I, I think, yeah, I'm not like ordering you here as part right. of your job. Right. Yeah, we're doing this.
0: For fun. For For, free. For
1: (laughs) for free and for fun. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I also want to say that in this environment, the tables are turned.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: You're the boss and I work for you. I'm in charge. Yeah, you're in charge.
0: Let's talk about the homeless count. The numbers just came out this past week. The count happened in January. uh, And it found that homelessness had gone up 9% in the county and 10% in the city. That's a lot of growth, and this is really what we want to talk about today, right? I know you from when we first met. You said I'm starting a homeless services a volunteer organization. It wasn't even an organization. No, at the time. I
1: just said we're doing some.
0: We're doing some. We're outreach. doing
1: some volunteering on homeless. Yeah, and the
0: neighborhood where we you you found out where the neighborhood where I lived, and you're like, come do this.
1: Yeah. Well, because cause I also live there.
0: Yes, Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I started doing outreach from that. And now we work on a lot of this stuff together. And these these numbers, I think we sh- should say they're not 100% accurate, but they do indicate trends potentially in, in how homelessness has changed over the last few years and in, in, in the city and county.
1: Yeah, and I think the way that the researchers who've done these numbers talk about it is that they have a lot of confidence in the big number, yeah, they have a lot of confidence in trends over time, right. where they lose confidence is if you're saying the numbers went up by x percent in this particular neighborhood, this neighborhood or yeah. in that neighborhood. Right. Once you start looking at specific geographies within the city or within the county, I think the researchers just have less confidence in these numbers. But these top line numbers, the differences between sheltered and unsheltered right in Los Angeles. And the growth in those numbers overall, they have a lot of confidence in those numbers and those numbers are not good.
0: Yes, they're bad. Let's contextualize it a little bit from the last few years. In 2019, homelessness grew by 12% in the county and 14% in the city. 2020, 12% in the county, 16% in the city. No count in 2021 because of COVID. In 2022, compared to 2020, it was 4% growth in the county, 1.7% growth in the city. So we've had growth In all the recent counts, but last year was considered really like not a victory, but a a turning around of the trend because the growth seemed to have slowed a lot. And now it it appears to have picked up again.
1: Yes. And I think there was also a lot of noise during the last count about how inaccurate the count was. Yeah. And I think one thing. I I used a new
0: app that didn't work very well.
1: They used a new app, which didn't work very well. When people started digging into the data, they had census tracts in neighborhoods that everybody knew had a lot of homelessness. Yeah, There was one census tract in Venice where the homeless count found zero people
0: mm-hmm.
1: in that census tract. But you there were h- probably hundreds of people in that tract, right. right? Yeah. There were some real challenges with last year's data, but the thing I learned in kind of looking through the numbers this time around or thinking about these numbers is that the researchers still have confidence in that top line number from last year. From last year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important to think about, because we said last year, the growth in homelessness slowed. Yeah. And I was happy. You know, it was a moment where I was like, okay, this isn't as bad as I thought it would be. Right. And I think we can still compare that slowed down growth from last year to a sudden uptick again this time around.
0: Because I think looking deep in the data, we had very specific areas that we knew where we thought the count was too high. And so like I could see them saying it all kind of comes out in the wash when right. you're talking about the the whole county city number, this count, unsheltered homelessness was up by 14% more brutal. than the brutal, brutal. Yes. And sheltered homelessness stayed completely flat. Uh, and so what, I mean, when we talk about homelessness we mostly people are mostly talking about unsheltered homelessness what they can see on the street yeah and so that means that that's getting worse the impacts of that are are huge in terms of what policy we're able to pass and just like how the city generally interprets like how things are working on homelessness right, right? so
1: does every i mean i feel like do people know exactly what sheltered and unsheltered homelessness is why is unsheltered homelessness
0: kevin kind of yeah Okay.
1: Yeah, I mean it's pretty self-explanatory, but I think it's important to think about um, as we're evaluating these numbers. Sheltered homelessness means you're—it's uh, somewhat obvious you're in a shelter. Yeah, and but it could be a in you know a, a hotel or a motel room that you're in. It can be a congregate shelter that you're in. Uh, you could have um, you could be in a, a domestic violence shelter, and all of these are counted, and that number is really precise because they're literally just asking those sites for a account of the people who are mm-hmm. there. And unsheltered homelessness is what we're seeing on the street. So it's, it's people in tents, people under tarps, people in RVs, people living in their cars, and all of that is considered unsheltered homelessness. And the crazy thing about Los Angeles and the way that homelessness has played out here is that we have so few shelter beds here that the vast majority... Of our homeless population is on the streets is unsheltered. And those numbers have risen sharply over this last year. And that's really, that's alarming.
0: Why did that happen? Why did, not necessarily why did sheltered homelessness rise, but uh, why did unsheltered homelessness rise? But like our our shelter count had been going up for a long time. And now it's flat. Well, what happened?
1: A big part of what happened in this last cycle was, and certainly we were experiencing this in in our district, was that there was this big program during the pandemic called Project Room Key, where the federal government paid for hotel and motel rooms to bring people who were experiencing homelessness indoors and to keep them uh, in individual rooms rather than putting them in a congregate shelter for their own safety. And the federal government pumped so much money into this program across cities. And in Los Angeles, we put thousands of people into those hotel rooms. And then that program wrapped up.
0: Yeah. And went much longer than it was originally. I mean, like everything with COVID, much longer than it was originally intended to go. The Project Room Key we opened in, in our district was supposed to go for three months, I think. (laughs) Wow. Which is like unimaginable. Yes. Um, And ended up, it it was well over a year that it ended up lasting.
1: Right. So, but in our district, we felt that so keenly, like over between the last, my first homeless count as a council member, where we saw this kind of this flattening out a little bit of the rise, between that count and the next count, what happened in our district was that The federal government said, we're not going to fund this project anymore. Uh, We're not going to fund this uh, project room key anymore. And so we were very quickly demobilizing our hotel site and frantically looking for ways to refund it so we could open it up again.
0: And that means demobilizing means two things. One, you have to take everyone who is in the hotel and try to find a place for them either in permanent housing or in a different shelter site, which is a huge undertaking and in a lot of these sites I think ours did pretty well but a lot of these sites people did just end up back on totally, back on the street a totally. huge number of people and it also means that before when you had this conveyor belt that was going from the street into a, like a hotel type situation you are no longer able to do intakes at the hotel right so you're you're trying to keep people in this facility from getting out on the street and you also have everyone who is still on the street is kind of stuck there and the toughest part about that is people over the course of the pandemic had really come to seek out the hotel option because it's such a great like for going into shelter it's something that like is very desirable for people that are on the street and when that went away and like even for people that had been were in the queue for that hotel it was tough that was a really tough yeah. few months. It
1: was really tough and what our office was doing at that time was finding ways to fund an extension of that site as a long-term interim housing site that the city could pay for instead yes. of the federal government.
0: Which it mm-hmm. did reopen us.
1: Yes, but we were the only district to do that. Yeah. None of the other s- districts had a room a room key site that um stayed open except for one which is still open, the Grand. Mm-hmm. And so we lost, as a county, thousands, thousands of beds Mm -hmm. that people were put into during the pandemic. Yeah. And my sense is, looking at these numbers, that that loss of room key rooms really drove the rise in unsheltered homelessness. I think, for for me, it felt like we were just unable to keep up Yeah. once we lost those rooms.
0: Yeah. And this count doesn't really incorporate inside safe what the mayor started doing when she took office i think it had just started uh during the january count and that has brought a thousand plus more people right. indoors not into room key sites into new locations like in, in 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 different parts of the city and county and so that that's hopefully driving an increase in sheltered homelessness like more more people coming off the street but that that's not reflected in this count Mm-mm other factors that are widely discussed as being part of this evictions covid eviction protections were actually still in place during this count mm-hmm. they they weren't lifted until march but evictions had had reached pre-pandemic levels i think uh, go ahead
1: eviction filings
0: eviction filings but yes. a lo- there were a lot more lockouts too there were in like june july of 2022 they had started to really rise uh even like even before the covid eviction protections had had ended it's been documented a lot of places there is correlation uh between like a, a very powerful connection between the number of evictions that are happening in a city and the the amount of homelessness that they experience so in that case i would think that homelessness prevention Going into this next year, like still like coming out of COVID and all this, is still a big priority for for the city.
1: I just wish that we had more data to be able to tell these stories of what works and what doesn't work. I wish we had more information on at a much more smaller ge- scale of geography, and at the larger scale, so that we could talk about what we could learn from this. But this is what we have, yeah. and this is, I think, the kind of yeah the kind of evidence we have to look at and it's 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 hard to to untangle what exactly led to this rise but re- the reality is probably all of it
0: yeah we ha- we have to pick up little clues like evictions went down uh in during 2020 and 2021 homelessness stayed flat they went back up but this is all also just kind of correlates with housing prices right generally and just like the the squeeze that's in the system and how difficult it is to Get like to stay in your housing and to get someone off the street. It's all kind of part of the same thing, and a, a, a another factor, like a statistic that kind of lines up with this in, in an interesting way is that chronic homelessness went up by even more than that overall homelessness numbers did. There was an eighteen percent increase in the number of people that have been either been on the street for longer than a year or are have been homeless repeatedly over the course of a, a couple of years. So that suggests that people are staying homeless for longer, like the, the the like the waiting room on the street is taking longer for people to both on the street and in shelter. Right. Uh because if you if you're stuck in shelter for a really long time, you're still homeless. You're you're chronically homeless if it's over a year, which for, which for a lot of people, it, it can take a very long time to get out of shelter. So the path to housing is not moving very quickly if people are kind of stuck in this situation for a long time.
1: Yeah. And if you lose your interim housing beds, which is like the thing that, you know, when we're talking about Getting people indoors here in LA, the way it tradition, the way it's working right now is that you move people not directly from the street into a permanent housing yeah. spot, you move to an interim housing spot. And if you lose all these hotel rooms, you just don't have those beds to offer people. Right, And so people are going out there, they're giving, they're doing the paperwork with people who are living on the streets. There's a lot of people out there who want to go indoors. Most of the people we meet want to go indoors, mm-hmm. but there's just nothing to offer them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you if you were in a bed and you end up getting exited from the bed for whatever reason, you kind of have to start the process over again. And it and 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 then permanent housing is even kind of farther removed for for those folks. I also feel like chronic homelessness. I think there's more overlap with health issues, mental health issues, and this is something like that. I feel like we are seeing across the city in in our district. I kind of feel like what we saw when 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 you first came into office, there was a lot of work. take when that that hotel shelter first opened. that was a almost a hundred people that were able to get off the street really quickly, right But it's a lot easier to get into shelter, like get into whatever your next step is if you're really well equipped to advocate for yourself and that was primarily the people that that got in were the ones that were able to keep working with their case manager, like get to where they needed to be at at this time. All these things, and we like we have people now. This new shelter system that's developed, they know exactly where they want to go. They know who they need to talk to to like to get to this place, and that's who gets into. Sh- it, it's easier that way, right? And I think what that has left is an an a higher proportion of people who are more vulnerable, have more severe mental health issues and are, are, the whole process just moves a lot less quickly for those people. So what does that mean? Like, how do you, like, what do we do to fill in that, like the gaps for people like that?
1: To me, the only thing that that makes sense is really expanding the number of beds that we have available. As you say that, It strikes me that the work we need to do is really about not just ensuring that we have more beds available, but also connecting people more effectively to those beds. Like if you have someone who's resistant to going indoors, that means you have to go out there every single day and talk to that person five times a week, six times a week until they make, they're ready to go indoors. And we do actually have more resources that are able to do that. Now we've invested more in outreach workers. We've invested more in getting more people out there who are doing that work. But we just don't have places for people to go, even if they're ready to say yes. And if you don't, if you aren't able to find those beds, if you aren't able to, to really transition people, I don't know, you end up hitting a wall no matter what. And I feel like the longer you're on the street, the harder it is for you to trust the system that's coming out and saying, I can help you. And the longer you're on the street, if you're sick, the sicker you get.
0: We talk about this, but the mental health focused services are still something that we're, we're kind of missing. In terms of people being out there every day to work with somebody, we don't really have mental health practitioners that are, that are doing that. Our county level services are just not out there with that kind of frequency. Right. Uh, you know, I met someone today who's in shelter and says like, it's not really working. I have medication that I'm, that I'm supposed to be on that I'm not like getting regularly. And At I, the shelter? Yes. And I have outbursts that like i'm I, I sometimes have trouble controlling. So it's like a little bit tough for me.
1: Is shelter staff aware that she or he they're needs- going
0: to be very soon. <laughs> but <laughs> right. I, but what like you've got emotion about this right. like, you know, there's we need it on the street, but we need it in the shelter we, as well.
1: yeah, we need health care and mental health care in those shelters too. but we yeah, we need people who can really work with people who have those. Those challenges. We just don't have that workforce here in Los Angeles. The county doesn't have the network they need. So the, count, the way that mental health care in, in Los Angeles is, is provided is that you have a department of mental health at LA County that is a gigantic department, a $3 billion agency. And that agency is supposed to provide mental health care in clinical situations. So they provide it in hospitals and in clinics across the entire county. But they are also supposed to be your street-based outreach providers. They were funded to do this through Measure H. They have funding to do this from the state. But they are not out there in the way that we need them to be right now. They're simply not out there. We have a emergency mental health response service, the PMRT.
0: What does it stand for? Psychiatric Mobile Response Team. Yes
1: psychiatric mobile response teams we've called on these pmrts in our office over and over again and they have never come in the period of the crisis for which the ne- we need their support yeah except for once i did once. Have them come
0: the first time the other night
1: yeah for the first time mm-hmm. recently but that has never happened before we have home teams which are Mental health outreach teams that are supposed to be going out proactively, not in response to a crisis call. They're supposed to be talking to people for the entirety of the San Fernando Valley. We have one home team. Yeah.
0: And so it's not for lack of them wanting to do this work or they cannot. like being lazy. They, they can't do it. There's they not cannot. For,
1: for the entirety of the San Fernando Valley. And there is a huge homeless population in the San Fernando Valley. And geography. And a huge geography just to get from one side of the valley to the other and they have one team. This is the gap in services that we're looking at and so as you are housing people, as you are housing people who are ready to go indoors, as you are moving people into hotel and motel rooms, you need a whole new set of people who are on the streets with a different set of tools and a different set of training and we just don't have those tools and the city doesn't really have the ability to get those unless we pay for them through a private service like a a, a UCLA mm-hmm. street medicine team or a a, a you know a, a USC street medicine team, which is what we're doing right now. But we are in theory supposed to be relying on the county for that, and we just don't have a reliable partner there. I know that there is more will to do that now than before. We have new supervisors who are there. We know that we have a mayor who's been very proactive about calling them in, bringing the county to the table, asking for these resources. But my question is, what do we do in the meantime? Because my crisis is right now, mm-hmm. and I can't wait two years until they staff up.
0: Yeah. And in the same way, you know, the dividing line is, is typically county handle services, Right. City handles, housing, land use, shelter, all those things. In the same way that we look at them and say we need to step up on the services, they say, well, what about that? Where's, what about the, where's the, beds? the housing? Yes, Where are exactly. the beds?
1: But we're trying now on the beds. We
0: are trying on the beds. But when it comes to permanent housing, uh, you know, we talk about this pipeline being kind of slow. I want to like look ahead to the next year. Uh, unfortunately, it feels like a lot of the work around permanent housing in the coming year is going to be about trying not to lose what we have. Right. Like, when it comes to supportive housing, I know we're adding some.
1: We're adding a lot. Okay. Because our HHH investments are finally coming to fruition. Yes. Homekey.
0: So
1: we're adding Homekey. So, Homekey is the state funding to purchase apartments and motels and hotels. And we are adding units through Homekey at a very, very fast clip. And it's added to our permanent housing stock. Yes. At an incredibly fast rate. Yes. Yes. Our HHH investments, which were made and started, you know, our, we 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 agreed to do HHH as a city um, to build permanent supportive housing, a bond measure that started in 2016. Those investments that are being made are finally; those buildings are being built now.
0: Yes. and they're being coming finished, online. They're right. finished.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. and hundreds of those units are coming online every year over the next few years. Yeah, and so we'll have a lot more permanent housing that is coming online. But we are also in a very very risky moment. We have the implosion of one of our biggest housing providers, the Skid Row Housing Trust, which is playing out right now.
0: Thousands of units.
1: Thousands of units.
0: Over 2,000.
1: Over 2,000. That's a lot. Also, there is a parallel thing happening on the affordable housing market where we're losing all of these affordable housing covenants. The covenants are expiring. And so people who are using vouchers to pay for those they may not be able to utilize those vouchers because they may not be able to make the rent on those right. units. So you have this parallel things happening where you're potentially looking at the loss of units, and Skid Row Housing Trust is a very immediate issue. Mm-hmm.
0: It feels like kind of like it was for a shelter last year. Like it's not a good thing where we are we're we are frantically trying to add new capacity as the threat of losing capacity is is, is sort of looming all the time. Because we can't just be in a place where, like, we break even every year on this stuff. We have to. We have to add more. You went. You went to a, a presentation at uh, the Lacasa Board. <laughs> yes. Was that the first meeting? Second.
1: It was a second meeting. Okay. So, Lacasa, Los Angeles County Affordable Housing Solutions Agency, is a new entity that's been set up by a bill that Sydney Kamlager carried when she was at the State Senate. And it's creating a new affordable housing agency that will serve the entire region. And it has board members who are from across the region. And I'm the mayor's appointee to this board. Yeah. Partly because I serve as the Housing and Homelessness Committee Chair at the city level. Mm -hmm. Um, And it could be a very powerful entity to spur the construction of housing provided we can find a way to finance it.
0: Right. Right they did a, a presentation about Houston which everybody talks about yes where Houston had a lot of success they they reduced homelessness there
1: significantly they
0: got a lot of permanent housing built
1: but their success was not driven by con, was not driven by hhh style investments in permanent supportive housing it their success was driven by using vouchers, vouchers. much more effectively to match with the housing market right so
0: And their housing costs are lower there than they are here. So
1: much lower. They have so much more housing available. Right. So basically, Houston significantly uh, dropped its homeless population, something like 60% drop over just a handful of years. Mm -hmm. And they did it with no investments in shelter, in in in-room shelter. Right. They did it entirely by taking people who were living in encampments and moving them into their permanent spots. Mm -hmm. That process happened by you'd work with somebody who was in a tent. You would um, make sure that they had a voucher Mm -hmm. that they could utilize. And then they would go out and find a unit on the market, on the rental market, and then move into that unit. And they had a whole support system that was built in the city to find landlords Um, They worked with the Apartment Association there. They recruited landlords to it. But yes, Houston's rents are significantly cheaper. Vacancy rates are much higher. And so their ability to do this was much greater because they were able to provide a voucher amount that was very lucrative for landlords. And they provided landlords incredible stability. This was a regular paycheck plus support from the city for certain kinds of repairs and so it was really an, a great opportunity for landlords to participate in this. We don't have that here at all yeah. in any way, shape, or form. We have housing vouchers that have been given to us, and we have people who are holding a voucher and trying desperately to find a landlord that will take that voucher, and they can't find it. And then the voucher expires, and they lose that voucher. It is the most maddening thing. And in Houston, they've created a system partly because of the underlying Um, housing market that they have where this just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But there's a key difference too in the way that Houston is approaching it and the way that our city is approaching it, which is that that permanent housing, those vouchers, those are all federally funded and shelters are city funded. The federal government does not fund it. And so the more that we invest here in interim housing, whether it be the motel or hotel rooms that Mayor Bass is using for inside safe the bridge home facilities that Mayor Garcetti invested in, whatever be the investment, this is an ongoing city investment that will never, that will come out of our general fund dollars. And that means it's taking up dollars that could be utilized for other things like homelessness prevention or for um, all of those things that keep people stable in their homes. And so if we could make this other system better of matching voucher holders with, Landlords, I think we could actually save money over the long run. Mm-hmm. Houston is not. We need
0: it now. Those shelter beds, like we, in absence of.
1: We the, can't allow people to just be on the streets. I yeah. mean, it's just not an option right now. Mm-hmm. So I don't, despite the fiscal impacts on, on, on us locally, I don't feel comfortable saying we can't in, invest in shelter here until because we want to use the federally funded permanent housing options. Because we have so many people living on the streets. It's just not okay. And yeah. in-room housing is easier to bring online because if it's a hotel or motel room, it's immediately available. You just have to pay right. for that room. And I believe very strongly that people should should be endorsed. I don't believe that homelessness should
0: exist. And uh, the, the amount of money, if we were to take all that shelter money now and spend it on Permanent housing construction. It would not go far enough to make a significant debt. It, we it, we need federal the federal bag to really
1: and it would not do that at scale. We yes, and also that we it would take so long that in the meantime we would continue to have thousands of people living on the streets. Right. But you know, I guess what what it we're in a tough situation. Yeah. <laughs> not just laying it out, and it feels really overwhelming.
0: Yeah. You're headed towards the council recess. Uh Uh-huh. Looking ahead, like after the break, the rest of the year, I think related to this stuff Mm -hmm. in Housing and Homelessness Committee, what are the things that like directly impact this issue, like the population on the street, next year's count, whatever that the city is working on?
1: One of the big things that we will have to be engaging with, obviously, is the Skid Row Housing Trust situation. So we, the council has less authority over that in in many ways, but we are putting money towards stabilizing those units by providing a loan to the receiver mm-hmm. who's now been put in charge of managing those properties. And we
0: replaced the yeah the who previous replaced receiver. a terrible
1: receiver who yes. was initially appointed, which was you know a, a problem. But there's a new receiver in place, and that receiver has now been funded through a city loan to stabilize those properties. Now it's on the city attorney um, and our city infrastructure to ensure that that receiver is working as quickly as possible to stabilize those individuals in those units and to ensure that as many of those units are able to continue into perpetuity as possible. So that's going to be very that's important. Be a, huge a huge thing, and that doesn't really end with recess. That just right. That that's just something we have to be doing. Yeah. The other thing that I think is really important for us is to ensure that we have now a really unprecedented investment at the city level in interim shelter through the two hundred fifty million dollars that was allocated for Inside Safe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So the mayor now has to figure out how to spend that money and to spend it in ways that will help us get to the best outcomes possible. Those reports about how her program is going, they come to my committee um, on a, every two weeks there's a spending report and then there's a, a, a report on the program and its operations that, that comes from the mayor's office. And I think it will be on all of us together to ensure that that program is working to the to the best of its capacity, mm-hmm. you know it's a very unusual way in which this has been set up. The city does not traditionally give large amounts of money in this way to the mayor's office to spend, and so I think we will have to. It's on all of us to ensure that that funding allocation and those dollars are being um, are being utilized efficiently and effectively to help the crisis.
0: Yeah, and how is it working to the like? To the best of its capacity, it's people who have been... So Inside Safe puts people in shelter. Right. But if you don't move them along right. into permanent housing, that money goes...
1: It'll evaporate.
0: Really, really fast yes. on, on, on fewer people.
1: Yeah. And I think they're trying to utilize those dollars as smartly as possible. So mm-hmm. rather than paying for a hotel room on a nightly basis... I know the mayor's team is really looking at acquiring hotels and motels, and there's definitely acquisition opportunities out there. But the biggest thing will be, even if you acquire those rooms, if you bring people indoors and then they just are there in those hotel and motel rooms and they don't have a chance to get a voucher and then match to a permanent unit or to find a permanent supportive housing unit through our HHH properties, whatever it is, whatever their next step is, they have to be able to move to that next step. And we have to make sure that the system is working to get them there. So what does that mean? That means making sure our housing authority, HACLA, is processing those vouchers effectively. It's When you get a voucher and you find a landlord, HACLA has to go out there and do an inspection. That inspection should be done immediately. It should not take weeks and weeks, but sometimes it does. And so we have to make sure that HACLA is doing its job and voucher matches are happening effectively. We have to make sure that people who are in those shelters are getting support, to a, stay, to, to well, not just to stay, but but to actually do the work right. of looking for apartments, right? Like if you're in a shelter and you have a voucher, somebody needs to help you make sure that you are going out and looking at apartments. You know, making sure that you're you you know exactly how much time you have on that voucher, how quickly you need to find a place. Like you need help going through that process, and some people may need more help than others. We have to make sure that that's happening. It's not happening all the time. And that's also a problem. So there's all of these other things that we have to put in place to make sure that this first step of moving people from an encampment into a hotel room doesn't just stop there, that it actually is part of this broader system that really is moving people indoors at a scale that Los Angeles desperately needs to achieve.
0: There's, I think, like, I, I I, can feel it, too. There's kind of a psychological effect where the process of getting someone indoors can be such a huge undertaking.
1: Just their first step, yes. like into a hotel room. Yes. yes, and
0: when you get them in and they're settled, there's kind of like a, ah, okay, <laughs> right. you're good? Okay, <laughs> yeah. and then yes. you go, right. like, work with the next people. Right, But
1: because there's so many more people out there. Of course. And as a council office or as a mayor's office, the calls about the people who are still out there don't stop. Yes. But we can't stop feeling that urgency to help the person that we've brought into that hotel yes. or motel. And for room. a case
0: manager, it's often the same people that are going around doing the work to get people indoors who also
1: are supposed to be, need man- to be yes. moving people right.
0: into their permanent housing and it's just way too much for them to do. Right. So, using some of this money to add capacity to to that system right. like th- that'll just be a big part of how we take a pile of money and turn it into
1: real results. Yeah. Real results. Okay, the other thing that I think is really important is that in Los Angeles, and I think about this and I talk about this all the time with constituents on so many different issues, not just homelessness, but there's there's like fundamental bureaucratic problems where one agency is not talking to another or one department is not talking to another. And all of these things need to be working in cohesion for this, to really work. And that's actually one of the big lessons from Houston that I was really inspired by. Texas is not a state that is investing a lot in these issues. Mm-hmm. The city of Houston is not getting a lot of additional dollars yeah. to do this work. And so they have to be hyper efficient mm-hmm. about how they use those dollars. The and
0: vouchers are help they're getting from the federal government, that's, but yes. none of the managed support for that is. is yes, coming. exactly.
1: Yeah. And the state of uh, the state of texas is not really throwing houston any extra dollars really to d- take on this work right and so what did they do they brought every single partner that needs to be talking about these issues into one room they have a coordinated effort and it's not just a one time thing that they're actually working together on these issues on an ongoing basis they're finding Blocks. They're yeah. finding um, where there's bottlenecks, and then they're fixing those problems. And that is, that's the work I want to be doing as a city so badly. Mm-hmm. And that's the work that our general managers and our and our um, our departmental heads really have to be doing, and yeah. they have to feel passionate about it because it is so hard to do that work.
0: Are you able to share a bottleneck or interdepartmental interdepart- communication that's not working right now in LA? Or are you?
1: Well, I think there's a lot of. There's a lot of challenges with HACLA, um, which is our, our housing authority of the city of mm-hmm. Los Angeles. They're not quite a city department.
0: Which is always a problem when it comes to accountability, oversight. Accountability. Yes, exactly. Yeah,
1: But they have had these incredible pilots in partnership with LASA where they get into the same room. They have, let's say, a new permanent supportive housing unit fill, uh, opens up. A new building, 60 apartments. They get the... People who are processing the vouchers in Hackla with the case managers all in one space. They have biweekly meetings and then they fill up those units very quickly. Like in the space of three weeks, they're able to fill up 60 rooms. Yeah. Which in LA, that's a miracle. Yeah. And that little example, that little positive story, that needs to be the whole system all the time. Yeah. And that's what we have to get to. We have to get to this this situation where these big bureaucracies, gigantic bureaucracies are talking to each other every single day.
0: So this, this is about the 2023 homeless count, but it was in January. Talk about, if you can, like the difference between working on homelessness in city hall, what it was like in city hall around this issue last year compared to, to this year. Is there, is there a difference in how would you Describe that. Difference. Oh,
1: yeah. There's a huge difference. There's such a big difference. We have a mayor who was elected with a mandate on homelessness. And she thinks and talks and takes action on this issue every single day. And that is different. Um, she's the first mayor in Los Angeles that was elected with a mandate on homelessness. That was not what Garcetti ran on. That was not what he was elected to do. And she was. And so she has really, I think, put a lot of resources, including her own time, into this issue in a way that I haven't seen before in City Hall. And she has also said that some of the ways in which things were done before. So in in the city, for as long as I have seen it, your response to homelessness really varied by council member. You had Mm -hmm. 15 different approaches to homelessness across the entire city. That pattern was reinforced by some of the litigation that the city faced. We were sued by by a a group of plaintiffs, um, and it was called Alliance Lawsuit. And the settlements around those lawsuits actually reinforced the council district by council district approach. And so especially over the last few years, and particularly over the last two years when I had a chance to interact with it, there were very sharp differences in the way that different council districts would approach the issue of homelessness and now for the first time we have an opportunity to have a citywide approach because the mayor is taking it all on herself and so what does that mean for me as a council member or what does it mean for me as the chair of the housing and homelessness committee it's to try and work with her to make a policy and a program of work and an operational setup in la that works for the whole city And we have to have oversight by the council. We have to have policy put in place by the council. We have to have budgetary approvals done by the council. But it has to be done in partnership with the mayor. And she's and I are both really pushing on a citywide approach. And I'm hopeful that we can get there.
0: Do you feel differences on the council between last year and this year in terms of this issue?
1: Well, you know, council has undergone a lot of change. We had a council president who resigned in disgrace after... Secretly recorded tapes revealed incredibly racist remarks. That was Noreen Martinez. And the council president is a very powerful figure on the council. They set the agendas for what the council votes on every week. So they really have the power to determine what policy moves through the council and what doesn't. You can wear them down and get stuff on there. But if they don't want to see certain kinds of policy out there, it just won't happen. She wanted to... Basically talk about where camping, street camping would and wouldn't be allowed. So she had a lot of conversations about that. She really drove forward a conversation about expanding zones in the city where camping wouldn't be allowed without having the parallel conversation of how do you put the resources in place to make sure that people are actually getting indoors. She never wanted to have that conversation
0: and that wasn't there wasn't a sense that that was coming after no
1: that was no, no, it was no. just
0: going to be this and then each council member was going to get to whatever just kind of figure out how they were going to get people indoors sort of on their own
1: on right? their own yes exactly every everyone was left to their own devices just imagine this in a city where homelessness has grown by double digit percentage points year after year and the only conversation that you're having over and over at the council is about where people should and should not be allowed to camp. And v- almost no conversation at all about how do you actually get people off the street effectively? How do you actually get people indoors? How do you create the resources for people to move indoors? And that's the situation that we were in. And we're not in that situation anymore. And it's a relief. It's a relief to be here.
0: Are you still feeling the the charge, the frisson of having been in Vanity Fair?
1: Oh, God the prisoner of my monumental shame
0: <laughs> <laughs> talk, I I want you to talk just like a, a little bits about that article so it's about the future of California uh-huh. uh it's the it guy who and he admitted that he was like coming from New York to like profile the California as a state and leaders in the state and 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 you were one of them but one of the yes.
1: the one ca- of the lead the leading voices representing the future of California Yes. You're- <laughs> <laughs> Listening to her right now. <laughs> She's right in front of you.
0: Uh, and one of the set pieces of the article was a dinner at Susan Orlean's house.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Beautiful house.
1: Incredible house. She's a constituent.
0: Yes. Uh, that you were, I, I just wanted to, what they didn't talk about is how you got
1: Got to the dinner. Got
0: to the dinner. <laughs> the dinner is just kind of happening. Yes. <laughs> and the, the cast, the people that are there, it's you, Susan Orlean. And an architect named Barbara, who I guess you doesn't want to use her full name in the in the article. Mayor Roshan, right? Yes. The, the former edit- publisher, editor and publisher of uh, LA magazine. Yes. Uh, and Barry Weiss, who they call the controversial podcaster, uh, and and her wife, Nellie Bowles. Was that the everyone who was there?
1: It was Susan Orlean and her husband. Okay. Was that everybody? Barbara's there was a couple of other people there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: But that, those were the primary.
0: Okay. Yeah. Players.
1: Players in this dinner.
0: What, how did you get there?
1: Well, I, (laughs) I was, so the reporter had reached out to me to set up an interview. So we had set up a time to talk in my office. Um, He had initially asked to walk on the streets around encampments and talk Mm -hmm. about homelessness out there and, we said we'd prefer to do it in mm-hmm. in city hall and then i got then he he made a request to our comms director to for me to come to this dinner and i had said no i would rather have a more controlled yeah. back and forth and he was really persistent about inviting me to the dinner and he talked to some other folks for the article he interviewed some other people including some friends of mine who he then asked to text me so <laughs> that i would go to the dinner
0: yes and Which so, should, in retrospect, should have been...
1: A red flag. <laughs> Do not go to this dinner. Under- <laughs> then at one point, I think before, like an hour or two before I was supposed to leave for the dinner, I get some... Fran- I, c- I can't remember how I heard, but somehow I was made aware that Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to be at this dinner. Mm-hmm. But he was not. That would have been amazing.
0: Yeah, that was kind of part of the excitement that, that Arnold was going to be there.
1: I didn't know, but I think I didn't know until close to the dinner. Okay. But at that point I was like, okay, yeah. But you didn't it, know
0: who else was gonna be there and then you get there and it no, seemingly I, was set up to be like a a, a little, cage match. A cage match. Yes. Between you and Barry Weiss and Barry Weiss. Yes. Yeah. Was that fun for you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> um you know I it's a beautiful house. It's a it's a it's a inc- dinner was nice. It's an incredibly beautiful house. Yeah. Um Susan food and was her, delicious. food was delicious. Yeah. Susan and her husband are incredibly gracious. Yeah. If you've read any of Susan's books, you know uh what an incredible mind she is. Yeah. So and so it, we it was a you know, and she's it, written
0: about LA beautifully. Beautifully,
1: really beautifully, right? Yeah. So like many things were nice about it, but um in this role as a council person for the city of Los Angeles at a time when there's so much anger and there's so much frustration, I see my role as de-escalation, trying to bring people to focus on our shared. Outcomes for the city rather than trying to focus on our differences, I think Barry Weiss brings a different approach to her work. and so I did not feel super equipped to engage with the conversation in that moment, right. But yeah, so that's
0: <laughs> are we gonna do this again?
1: Yeah, maybe. okay. let's what do you think?
0: I enjoyed it.
1: Well, yeah. But you're like very good at this.
0: This is, oh yeah, this is um, yeah the, the this, air I breathe.
1: This is the air you breathe. Meanwhile, I've been like sweating this entire time. <laughs> Being recorded makes me really nervous. So yeah, it's it's a little unpleasant for me. But you know what I think would be nice? Hmm. I think we should also bring in somebody who knows less about the issue okay. so that they can ask us questions too. Or, okay. Or less about the issues. Yeah. So we don't have to talk about just one issue. Okay. Right?
0: Interesting. A guest who's brought in for their lack of <laughs> knowledge
1: well, about something. I. But you know so much about the stuff. And so I feel like, you know, are you going to be asking questions and framing the discussion in a way? But, but you know what? I'm just realizing now yeah. you're very good at this. Wow. So, yeah, maybe you are.
0: Maybe I did.
1: Maybe <laughs> you did that maybe the whole time. Maybe you did that the whole okay. time.
0: Okay. Well— We'll see.
1: Yeah, we'll see. I think. I think we should. Yeah, we should do this again.
0: Have a good recess. Thank you. Bye.
1: Bye.